Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the All Out Preview. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dadly Boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture, to look ahead to AEW's All Out Pay Per View this weekend. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review AEW Rampage and AEW Dynamite, but also Raw, SmackDown, NXT pay per views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete. With a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, though, joined by Michael Sidgwick to look ahead to All Out this weekend, which, of course, we will be doing a live stream for on our YouTube channel. And if you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcast from, all the Fallout will be dealt with, of course. But, Sid, how are you feeling about All Out? It feels like it's been a bit of a roller coaster with Hangman Page not being in it and then all the subsequent changes and then Punk and what have you. How are you feeling about the, the pay per view this weekend? Um, I'm on fire for it. I'm very much hyped up for it. I think it's a huge testament of AEW's white-hot status and the work, the sheer amount of work that goes into making a product white-hot. That what felt like a white-hot pay-per-view has been, I don't want to say cursed, but it really has been sort of undermined by various developments in and out of the company's control. And yet, despite the fact that it doesn't feel as life-affirming, best pay-per-view in the entire history of wrestling-worthy as it might have a month or two months ago, it still feels red-hot, if not white-hot. Tanahashi versus Moxley isn't happening. That's an ache for the soul. (laughs) Hangman Page isn't going to get his moment. That is another ache for the soul. And yet, they've still, having done the work and did more work on top of the work, still come together with a really strong card. Like, it really felt like Christian Cage versus Kenny Omega was going to be the TV match before the um, Kenny Omega versus Hangman Page pay-per-view match. Mm. But the thing is, if you book with an expansive, long-term vision and do lots of work, you arrive at, well, Christian Cage has been undefeated. Christian Cage is undefeated through the framework of the ranking system he comes off as a credible, if not as exciting, challenger. They, with their backs against the wall, have done something really entertaining with that build, and they've put a little wrinkle in it to make the outcome less obvious by having Cage win the Impact World title. 
that feud now feels way hotter than it did in our mind's eye when Christian Cage first held aloft the mm. AEW world title. Yep, I'm bang up for this, and it's still not the show that we thought we were going to get, but that's just a testament to how well AEW books. Yeah, and credit, yeah, like you say, because in theory, once you got CM Punk there saying he's going to fight Darby Allen, don't really have to put anything else on the pay-per-view for people to part with their hard-earned money to see something like that, you know, first in-ring action properly uh, for, what, seven and a half years, something like that, but we've got, you know, major title matches. You mentioned Omega Cage, you've got... You know, Britt Baker, Chris Statlander, they've got Young Bucks and the Lucha Bros in a sodding cage. You've got potentially the end of Chris Jericho's AEW career. You've got Miro and Eddie Kingston that just come up out of nowhere for the TNT Championship. Uh, and you've got Paul White versus QT Marshall. We'll get to that. Um, before we get into your predictions for some of the matches, I'd love to know your thoughts on what match actually main events, because it, it's not that straightforward, is it? It really isn't. It really isn't. And I'm glad you've asked me this question because I feel like it's the question most people are principally invested in um, ahead of the show. For me, CM Punk versus Darby Allen has to main event. I understand that some people might counter-argue, well, what does that say about the prestige of the title? I would counter that counter-argument by saying, what would a flat... And it's not a guarantee of being a flat match, which I'll get into, but what would a flat atmosphere or a deflated atmosphere do for the prestige of the title something worse than it not going on last yeah. it's an optics thing ultimately it's a hollow optics thing that a world title match has to go on last for me it's far better to present your world title match in front of a hot audience that hasn't been exhausted and even if they are they will find a second or third or fourth win for CM Friggin Punk's first yeah. match back it's an optics thing, putting it on last. I've never been a huge believer in the tradition because realistically, it's never been that much of a tradition anyway, or at least it's been overstated. I just think that a just a drained response to a world title match going on last does way more damage to the prestige and aura of the world title than it not going on last. It's as simple as that. Now, it's a bit more nuanced. One of the reasons why I think that it won't be a disaster if Kenny Omega and Christian Cage goes last. Is that Kenny Omega is an absolutely outstanding professional wrestler, in my opinion, the very best of all time. He is very over. He very much feels like the North American pro wrestling superstar. Some people didn't think he was in 2019. So there are differences in terms of how over he is. Additionally, it might work going on last because of how fundamentally wonderful Omega and Christian Cage are at building a professional wrestling match. These two men are architects. They could start slow, and with their wonderful use of strategy, with the, just the dark arts that Christian Cage has, to very slowly pull people in. He's an architect. He's a master at building drama, as is Kenny Omega. Basically, what I'm driving at here is even if that audience is exhausted, and it's not just the punk match, this show is loaded not just with great matches, but matches full stop, several of which appear to be going the distance. They, nonetheless, Cage and Omega, are so good at hooking people in. Like a Christian Cage match, if you all of his best matches, they start slow, they start quietly. 
even in WWE, he wasn't positioned at the very tippy top. But by the last five to seven matches of the matches that he had against like Randy Orton is a great example. Those crowds were white hot for the last five mm. minutes because the man can build to a crescendo. So maybe the way that they structure and lay out their matches is the best possible means of capturing the audience's attention, letting them breathe, starting out tentatively, allowing them a breather, and then ratcheting up the pace. But at the same time, even though there are few other people I would trust to follow CM Punk's first match in seven years in Chicago than Christian Cage and Kenny Omega, like Tanahashi would do a great job of this as well. Mm. That's why he was so great on top of New Japan Pro Wrestling for so many years because their shows go very, very long, and yet Tanahashi's matches always got a major reaction. He's a similar kind of worker to Cage. Kenny Omega is a very different worker, but in terms of his match structure and how intelligent he is in putting things together and building to that crescendo, he could do it as well. But why run the risk? This isn't just any CM Punk match in Chicago. This is CM Punk's first wrestling match in seven years. And as a result, it's like an occasion in itself. Like, the only reason why I think that you don't do this, the title's already been established. There was a big argument, a huge discourse, and I'm droning on here, but it's a complicated thought. Mm. And there's a major discourse around the very same event in 2019, um, where the Lucha Bros and the Young Bucks had that Bananas, insane, ballistic, incredible, Escalera de la Muerte match. And because Paige and Jericho had to follow it, they did get a reaction. And I've watched this match back recently for a project. Mm. And it's way more heated than you remember, but it was nowhere near as heated as Penta giving Matt Jackson, a Canadian destroyer, off a ladder through a table. You're just not going to beat that pop, mm. you know? I can understand why they did that then, because it was the very first AEW world title match. That isn't the case now. People take Kenny Omega seriously as a pro wrestling superstar and a draw now. That title is very much established as the most prestigious one in the game. So why bother? Why bother for me? In terms of openness then, what would you have start the show? I would have Dr. Britt Baker versus Chris Statlander start the show. I think it's going to be a good enough match. I think it'll be very good, in fact. They had a match um, in December 2019 on Dynamite, and this is well before Dr. Britt Baker got all the way over. This was, in fact, when Dr. Britt Baker was ailing as a babyface mm. marketing project that really didn't connect with the audience, and yet they had a really hot match on a Dynamite. They, we know they can work together on that basis, so it will fulfill the hot work rate opener remit. And at the same time, I mean, Baker's different. She isn't a female AEW wrestler who doesn't get anywhere near enough thought applied to her booking and presentation. And no matter how good she is in the ring or how she, good she is on one night, she's not going to get a reaction because the optics at this point, this audience has been conditioned to not take women's wrestling as seriously. So that issue won't affect Baker were this to go fourth, fifth, or sixth. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, put the trust in the women's division. The opener... Is has now been established in AEW is a major, major thing. Top stars work at Young Bucks and Hangman Page have worked the last two openers for pay-per-views. Um, on Dynamite, it's like a really prized slot. Why not put some respect on the work that Britt Baker's done by introducing her in front of a crowd that outside of CM Punk will be at its most energetic, enthusiastic, and welcoming. And it's out retention for Britt Baker. 
Yes, absolutely. And the crowd will be with her all the way in retaining that title. So there'll be a hot crowd. It'll be a really good match. And if you say all of these things without saying, oh, it's a women's match, you would say, all right, well, feel good win for a beloved character in a match that you know is going to be good, that would be better served not going too long. All of these things yeah. meet the criteria of a great opener other than other women. And uh, you're right. I think these two could absolutely break, not necessarily break the mold in AEW, but certainly set that standard, absolutely. Uh, related to that, let's talk about the Casino Battle Royal. It's been, of course, moved to the, to the main card. No Pac Andrade, unfortunately. A um, whole host of names have been added over the last few days. Riho, the latest. Yes. Uh, at time of recording, at least. There is one more entrant, the Joker. Your speculation as, as to who you think that may well be, and will that person be winning the whole thing? Well, it's everyone's speculation. Um, Ruby Soho's done a very good job of building anticipation ahead of her debut, wherever it may be, and I think it's going to be here. Um, all signs point to it. Um, she's done a really good job, as Ruby Soho, of elevating her brand with mm. these teasers. It's so different. It's a welcome departure from the very cliched, I've uh, been released from prison. <laughs> so I get it. That's how you feel, but it's also very cliched. She's done a very um, good job of elevating her profile again. So I expect it to be Ruby Soho. I feel like she should win it. Um, mm -hmm. This company and its treatment of women's wrestlers doesn't necessarily depict anyone outside of Britt Baker as a proper game-changing star. And again, I've said this so many times, but the way in which women's wrestling has been treated by wrestling at large in North America for the last however many years is that you don't get the luxury of bringing in, and this might change the next two or three years when Sasha or Bailey's contract opens up, but you do not get the luxury whatsoever of getting someone like a CM Punk or a Brian Danielson-sized mm. shock pop Instant game changer, instant main eventer. Ruby Soho, we didn't see enough of it in WWE, is immensely talented. She's got the ability to generate buzz. Why not? Not fake it, but like almost half fake, presenting her as an instant credible threat mm. to everyone in that division because this division relies too heavily on opponent of the week, lackluster, half-hearted builds. If you're going to debut Ruby Soho in this match, go all the way. Go absolutely all the way. She'll get a big pop um, in Chicago as well. Go for it. Yeah, I've um, I got to agree with you. I think she's probably my pick, not only for the Joker, but to win the whole thing. And it'd be a nice change to see the Joker come in and actually win it. Obviously, they've recently just brought people in, used it as a way to introduce people, and then you know had someone who was already on that trajectory maybe win the whole thing. Uh, if not her, I said Jay Cargill quite, quite a while back. It, you know, I don't know how far along she is and whether she could, you know, hang or or, or if they even want to do, you know, it's it's a future world championship match. It's not a destined, you know, next week, next month sort of thing. So you could, in theory, sit on that and have her or Mark Sterling say, no, no, we're just getting ready, not yet sort of thing. Um, although I did mention this on our review of Dynamite, her and Nyla Rose beating up Thunder Rosa backstage lends itself very easily to those two getting eliminated by Thunder Rosa. And Thunder Rosa's a shout in, in, in theory in terms of, you know, you want to, like you say, if you have her open the show and be like, look, this is Britt Baker, and then you want to have her have another brilliant match, it's almost impossible for these two to have a bad match in terms of her and Thunder Rosa. And if you ever actually listen to my bloody advice and want to turn Britt Baker face, 
double turn with Thunder Rosa could be intriguing as well, I suppose. Absolutely. Um, when you look at the complexion of this battle royale, it kind of undermines what I've just been talking about, the apathetic treatment to the women's division. It's not as bad as it was in late 2019 or mid-2020. It's still not anywhere near adequate for me. And you know what I was like? I was like a big proponent of a nuanced good yeah, faith yeah. argument. Those arguments seem to be receding um, in credibility as these weeks go on. But they've done some work. Um, as you said, they've done some work with uh, Cargill and Rose and Thunder Rosa. That's something to look out for. The interactions between TJ and Bunny and Penelope Ford are something to look out for. They've always booked Riho. I mean, she's a former women's champion, mm-hmm. strongly and enthusiastically. We know that Kenny Omega raves about her work, and why wouldn't you? She's fantastic. So there are credible names that should get a reaction, but we've spoken with open disdain frequently about the rubbish format of this Mm. actual match. It's unfocused. You don't get the pop when they come out because people are not reacting to who it is, but rather asking who it is. It's confusing when they all come out at once in groups of four. Because they come out in groups of four, you don't get the shine that you get in a Royal Rumble. Just do a normal Battle Royale, please. We won't tell you the roulette wheel thing because we talk about this <laughs> yeah we've done, we know that before but yeah I've said before but Phoenix Pentagon Vikingo Kenny Omega Shingo Takagi Ishii Tanahashi put them all in this specific match genre and it still wouldn't be an awesome match because mm. the format stinks I worry about this this is going to be positioned third or fourth I imagine yeah and it's going to be just like it was at Double or nothing, a confusing thing that in itself is so hard to focus on and keep track of that fans will just naturally tune out. Much of this won't get a reaction, and it's going to potentially bog down a card that might bog itself down on the whole due to how much is on there and how many of the matches are going to go along. That's my chief concern going into this pay-per-view, as it too often is in AEW. Yes. And so many people have said this in good faith, like huge proponents and supporters of AEW, the pay-per-views are too long. Certain matches that need to go 12 minutes, sometimes go 16 or 17. Please, please, I'm begging you, if anyone high-ranking in AEW listens to this podcast, 12-minute matches are awesome. Look at Hangman Page versus Brian Cage. That went 12 minutes. Got four and a half stars from Meltzer. You've got your critical acclaim Mm -hmm. secured. There's no need to go needlessly long and detract from the matches that people are really, really interested in seeing. A quick word on the 10-man on the buy-in. Very quick word. Best friends and Jurassic Express versus HFO, of course. Um, straightforward victory over the HFO. Get this done with now? Yes, absolutely. Straightforward, feel-good victory over the HFO because even if they win, no one's going to go, oh, Christ, they're a legitimate heel threat rising up the ranks. Maybe Matt Hardy will get a TNT title or a world title shot and maybe the tag teams in it will catapult up the up the rankings of the tag team division. No one seriously cares about this act. Please do something different with Matt Hardy. It is consistently the most drab, flat element of every dynamite. I would like Matt Hardy to disappear from screens after this. Mm. I think that's fair enough. Right, I'm going to bring some of your parenting skills in here. Okay. There's John Moxley versus... Satoshi Kojima, before I give you that, you have to talk about Paul White and QT Marshall. Oh, well, Andy Murray's pissing me off. <laughs> As always. Because me and Murray were talking about how, you know what, 
It's about time AEW had a match like this. It is a buffer that will not go very long. That will we're literally crossing our fingers on this audio uh, medium It'd right work. now. Like Jesus Christ, we thought great. It's about time AEW without doing an intermission and without following the New Japan philosophy of short, longer, 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 longer match, which works perfectly. And I have no earthly idea why a company built much of itself on being popular in New Japan Pro Wrestling hasn't followed its pay-per-view sequencing. Pisses me off. Murray's pissing me off as well because he's pointed out that following the angle (laughs) with the gun club turning on Paul White with the um, pictures of Paul White's reconstructed ass and hips (laughs) on the Tron that we potentially aren't going to get that nice little... People don't care that much, but the people, these like, there's Duracell bunnies who'll be up for anything. If you can get enough of them going, oh, I remember Paul White. I liked him. Oh, it wouldn't be good to watch him punch QT Marshall in the face. And uh, after QT Marshall tries to duck. And by the time they enjoy that, mildly, inoffensively, the people who don't give a toss and who are on their phones, taking a break, getting the pints in, they can refresh for the matches that do matter, that aren't just inessential bit of fun fluff. My God, he's going to work his hip for eight minutes, isn't he? Mm. I would like, I'd seriously like that to be threatened as a story beat because they've laid down the foundation for it. Batter the hip a little bit, batter the hip, and then when QT Marshall looks like he's got Paul White on the ropes after one minute and a half of rabbit punches to the hip, he can gloat to the audience and not realize with his back turned that the big giant, the slumbering giant, has now woken up. Paul White's got a good I'm pissed off face. He can put that face on, and when QT Marshall turns around, knockout punch. One, two, lifts him up, choke slam, one, two, three, get it over and done with in three and a half minutes. I was literally just about to say, you are writing the excellent ups and downs article that will go up at whatculture.com following this pay-per-view. I was going to say, at what time does an up become a down on this match? So it's 3.30, basically. Three and a half minutes, yes. <laughs> it's it's just, it's meant to be the fun buffer. Mm. It's meant to be the one thing that AEW hasn't yet done on a pay-per-view to do something, anything, to make it feel like the middle parts aren't sagging. I'm not going to buy that QT Marshall's going to beat Paul White because he got rolled up two weeks ago as well. I know. Just get on with it. Knock him out. I love QT, this character of his. But, yeah, have him run around, dodge the match that he's asked for, apparently. Maybe poor Aaron Solo gets... Knocked out of the way, and I don't know. I want to protect Nick Camarado because I think look at him. But yeah, bit of that bollocks. Like you say, KO punch, choke slam, one, two, three. Simple stuff. Thanks for staying up late with me, QT, to format these shows. You work really, really hard. Here's a match on pay per view that will get over to an extent because it's Paul White. You only need three and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. Right, let's talk instead about something you are excited about Moxley Kojima. Um, like you say, disappointed about the whole Tanahashi stuff, but. 
this will still be a hell of a lot of fun and maybe a bit of a low-key banger in terms of people not really know what knowing if they're unaware of you know Kojima's body of work what you're going to get from these two people he's going to try and kill an old man isn't he yes and the old man and it's awesome when old men in particular do this is going to fire up and smash one of his trademark lariats into the back of John Moxie's neck <laughs> Like, this is going to be worked in a really defiant, badass, no-sell rhythm, the likes of which New Japan just can pop crowds' tits off with. This won't go long. This is one of two matches on the show that I'm convinced will get measured perfectly right. I think this will go 10 to 12 minutes. That's all you need to tell the story. Kojima, as legendary as he is, and as much as he can still go, is 50-odd years old. Um, But yeah, if you've got no... Awareness of Kojima's back catalogue. He's an excellent striker. He can grapple. His chops are as painful looking as they are entertaining. It's going to be a big swaggering, dick measuring contest full of eyes when they slap each other in the face and just to refuse to sell it because that would mean that they've lost momentum in the, the machismo battle. Like the rhythm of this is going to be beautiful. The stiffness is going to be beautiful. It doesn't have to go too long. Moxley's going to win. My only concern is Kojima is a deep cut for New Japan. The AEW audience generally is very aware of um, the outside professional wrestling scene. Nagata, even in a socially distanced crowd, got a really respectful reaction. We've seen Laredo Kid, who if he didn't get a pop when he came out, everyone reacted to his stuff because yeah. they were told, oh, he's a big deal, he has to be. Look who he's working alongside. Kojima isn't Tanahashi, he isn't Ishii, he isn't Shingo, he isn't one of these really fashionable, cutting-edge names. Kojima was big in New Japan before New Japan really got big in the US. I'm hoping he has a level of Minoru Suzuki-esque respect where people will know who he is, greet him as the legend he is, and stay with him for 12 minutes. Um, I would put this on early for that reason. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We've got lots more to talk about, of course. Uh, title matches, CM Punk's in-ring return. Potentially the end of Chris Jericho's uh, AEW career in ring again. Before we do that, let's talk the goat in the room. I was going to say elephant in the room, but that works as well because this show is also slightly overshadowed by, we assume, fingers crossed, Rona, you know, bollocks aside, the arrival of Brian Danielson. Not Daniel Brian, I'm just going to have to start calling him that. Arriving AW, without giving too much away, if it's going to be involved in some of the matches we're still to talk about, when do you think he shows up? I don't know. And you know what? It says so much about how intelligent Hangman Page is and how good Tony Khan is at booking. Because like most of his top stars, they work in collaboration. Creative freedom and expression is very much encouraged. It's not just encouraged, it's sort of like mandatory. Like Tony Khan has the final say. But he knows these people are artists. Together, they've created such a wonderful, interesting, emotionally resonant two-year arc that the second my literal biggest dream match possible in professional wrestling is teased via perhaps Danielson coming out to confront Omega, I'll think, well, this is great. This is something I've been idly thinking about for years, thinking it's probably not going to happen because Mm. Danielson was in WWE. And yet a part of me will still think, oh, does this mean Hangman Page isn't going to get his moment? That's the power of how much Hangman Page and AEW have told such a majestic, yeah. just really affecting uh, storyline. At the same time, Omega Danielson will be tits. <laughs> so I do really want to see that. Um, I don't know. I really don't know. My... Dream scenario is, other than, like, Danielson Omega is down the line dream scenario. I want to be able to build that. But if I can't get that yet, and I don't really want it yet. MJF versus Danielson. But I don't know how you do that. Not to tread on where we're going next, but I expect Jericho to win. Maybe Jericho can leave. MJF can get the resounding boos in the ring. But then Danielson coming out and just beating up MJF for no reason... It's a WWE thing, and it mm. matters little how much of an arsehole the MGF character is. You still don't want it to be, ah, that was a random act of cruelty. I've got no idea. Um, I've got no idea whatsoever, but it's going to bring the absolute house down. Yeah. Um, let's talk MJF, Chris Jericho, as you've just mentioned there. Could Chris Jericho be forced to retire, that being the stipulation? Of course, if he does, lose this ongoing feud with, with MJF, where MJF's 3-0. And, of course, MJF has never lost a singles match in AEW, ever. John Moxley Trujillo. So, is this the, the end of, of his O, or is this the end of Chris Jericho in ring in AEW? Didn't even plan that. Well, if you had planned it, you should be ashamed. You should be ashamed anyway. That was rubbish. <laughs> it was absolutely disastrous patter. You're asking this question 
for the purpose of recording some audio, right? Yes. Much like you would. Are we going to see a roll-up on Raw tonight? (laughs) The answer is, on the surface, obvious. But people are actually asking this question earnestly, and that says so much about how well-crafted the storyline has been, and in particular, how incredible the go-home segment was across the board for this particular program. People are legitimately asking this question. Jim Ross's crying went a long way. Chris Jericho drawing on nostalgia, which he's been adamant to preserve his status as the master of reinvention he would never do. That's gone a long way. MGF being so cocksure about what he's going to do, performing his conviction so well that he's never once wore anything close to a job face. That's gone a long way. Um, The fact that the labors of Jericho scanned at times as well, this must be it, because not only is he doing his last thing that you'd never thought Chris Jericho would do, which he loves doing, by the way, a Nick Gage glass death match. It's very much Chris Jericho in his later years wanting to do cool things that he couldn't do in WWE. That felt like the zenith of that. And at the same time, going back in time to face Juventud Guerrero really felt like this is his last ride. Mm. It all feels like it's culminating. Farewell to us. Yeah, like farewell to a... Um, going out on top. Chris Jericho loves the Beatles, right? This almost feels like Abbey Road, and I don't know if he's been inspired by that, but Abbey Road, and if you've not heard this record all the way through, listen to it tonight, or whenever this podcast drops, after it, of course. Mm. Abbey Road, and Chris Jericho's a massive Beatles fan, maybe he's thinking along these lines, is a wonderful, wonderful album that folds in just the absolute elegance and craftsmanship of late period Beatles, touches at various points throughout their like back catalogue and their old stylistic flourishes, and it ends in this absolutely incredible medley. And this feels like a medley mm. of Chris Jericho. The cool things that he wants to do, the old school nods, the fact that they've been saying for a long time oh, there's better people behind us now, just like the Beatles did at this stage in their career. All of this has converged to make that question feel halfway realistic. I personally don't think it's the end. I think Chris Jericho wants to hear Judas Mm -hmm. into his 80s. (laughs) And his selling of how much he loves Judas is a detriment to the stakes and the gravity of this match, and I'm not being facetious. But the thing is, I think Jericho will win. There'll be conversations in the aftermath of what this was all for, if in fact that's the case. But if you look at the reaction the first or the last singles match they had got on Dynamite, if you look at how into the promo and how much they didn't want Jericho to retire, the fact that they've, one, convincingly asked the question, and two, provided a reality that fans just don't want to sanction because they love Chris Jericho... Mm drama in this match will be absolutely off the charts. Like, genuinely, Mm. they'll be on the hook for every single near fall. They've told a fantastic story. And if people thought it was one match too many, they they did not after last week's Dynamite. And they've sold the match as well, or or section spots in the match, by having Chris Jericho tap out to MJF. So it's not like if MJF locks a submission on, you go, okay, well, cool, he's crawling to the ropes then. 
that's incredible. And it's almost been AW being harmed by itself because of the whole stick with Cody not challenging for the world title and not immediately going back on that after six months like the other company would. Yeah, People are like, well, if Jericho says he's done in AEW in-ring, he's done in AEW in-ring. He's not going to turn around after two months and say, I'm taking this headset off and doing this or whatever. That's what I was talking about with the uh, the craft and yeah. the work that's got into this promotion for two full years or well over two full years at this point. They've upheld their stipulations. They really have upheld their stipulations, so that will add drama to the match. And if you uh, for the project I'm writing at the moment, um, I've gone back and watched the early stages of the MGF versus Cody Rhodes feud. And if you remember, he hit a cutter on Hangman Page not very well, and then he did it on the plant grip tremendously. He likes using other people's offense. If he does a code breaker, that'll get a dynamite near fall. Like... The drama in this is going to be overflowing. I'm going to pick my best friend, MJF, because he's never been defeated in singles action. And I've got the finish for you right Isn't here. Isn't your best friend Wade Barrett? Oh, different promotion, yeah. Sorry. Sorry to have muddied the waters there. Um, Do you have two best friends? How many do you want in my book? It's pathetic. You know what? It's funny that boots come in two because you're licking two boots. <laughs> Wade Barrett and MJF. <laughs> All right. I'll take this finish. Chris Jericho staggering around. He's he's done. He's weeping. He knows this is the end. And he just waves on, akin to something you may have seen before, waves on MJF, who looks at him and says, I'm not sorry. I hate you. <laughs> Judas Effect, one, two, three, piss off. That sort of thing. I mean, that would be an incredible finish. Yeah. An incredible finish. It'd be fantastic. Uh, oh, we are spoiled for choice. What do you want to talk about next? Miro Eddie Kingston? Why I? Oh, TNT Championship. The best 54-second promo we've ever seen on Dynamite this week. I mean, it, it, this is a match where I've gone from, oh, another match being handed to the card, to, I let them fight, lads. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I thought we were going to save this one for Arthur Ashe, if I'm being honest, but yeah. maybe the finish would have not gone down well in Arthur Ashe at all. Um, this should absolutely rule. Eddie Kingston is at his absolute best as a worker when he's up against a challenge that his body can't meet, but his spirit will never not challenge. Mm. Miro killing Eddie Kingston will get tremendous heat. A tremendous atmosphere will be generated when Miro kills him with suplexes, um, yeets him all over the place. <laughs> and when Eddie Kingston, with his phenomenal face that he has, his just refusal to die, when he in fact refuses to die, Gets back up on those jelly legs. He can work like Terry Funk levels. That's how good Eddie Kingston is in this sort of role. When he refuses to die and gets that hope spot, and as he said in the build, does some kind of disgusting four-pillar-inspired move, which I think he'll bust out. You know he loves the pillars. The four pillars loved each other's necks and hated their own. <laughs> and he said he's going to target Miro's necks. I'm expecting... So, I don't know if he would do a burning hammer or a ganzo bomb and have it as a kick out, just as a tribute, but he's going to do something awful to Miro's neck. When that something awful happens to Miro's neck, everyone's going to bite. I can't call this one. It would be a really nice moment for Eddie Kingston to win it. But the problem with AEW is they're too good at booking heel champions. Yeah. Chris Jericho's run was amazing. The Young Bucks and Kenny Omega's runs have been amazing. Miro's run has been amazing. 
Mr. Brody Lee's run was so amazing that people were kind of pissed off with Cody. And in fact, that might be the first genesis of people thinking, oh, how are Cody? And I've never thought that, but you know, people do. I don't want Miro's run to end, but I want Eddie Kingston to win the strap because he's Eddie Goddamn Kingston. Um, all of which is to say, a lot of people will think this, this match, which I don't think will go too long. I don't, I think it'll go 12 minutes as well. Um, everyone will be massively on the hook. But the issue is, I keep saying this throughout the podcast, everyone will be on the hook for this. Everyone will be white hot for this. Everyone's going to go bananas for this. The human body can only take so much great professional wrestling that a really good, great match, sometimes people will be like, oh, I can't be asked. Mm. My f- a physical endurance, lim- endurance limit has been met. It's another argument we made of, I'm exhausted, I'm knackered. It's CM Punk. It will involuntarily yeah, take me yeah. over. That he has to go on last for that reason. Yeah, I'd say out of all the title matches, I'd say I agree. This is the one that's the hardest to call. I think that's generally across the board. We get a lot of retentions. Obviously, uh, Omega, Britt Baker, maybe, maybe the Lucha Bros can steal. I don't know, but this one, yeah, because like you say, if you think if they were going to put the title on Kingston, they'd do that in Arthur Ashe and then just hop maybe hot potato back to to Miro a few weeks down the line. But then the argument could be made. Or maybe they just want the the moment of Kingston coming out in Arthur Ashe with the TNT Championship, and then you switch it back there anyway. Or you don't switch it back there. You could have Eddie Kingston beat somebody in Arthur Ashe for yeah. a feel-good moment. And you shouldn't book your shows around guys who are going to get local pops. That will cripple the idea of long-term storytelling. But you should do the, the opposite either and beat everyone in the hometown as well, though. Yeah, at the, and at the same Every time. Every time, forever. The second this show was announced, and it's anecdotal, it's just my timeline, virtually everyone in the replies to my tweets about it, tweets I've seen about it, said, oh, they should give Eddie Kingston something here. And irrespective of where that thing is, you should give the fans what they want. Mm. And they want Eddie Kingston to be a champion. Yeah. I can't can't call this. I think Miro probably retains, but I'm not going to be up in arms if he if he doesn't. I think Miro retains. Me and Murray have got like a very WWE style fantasy book and scenario that we kind of want to see play out because it's a really good story. Miro's been talking about banging his wife for months. The wife that he bangs ritually every night is now a free agent, I believe. Yes, I believe so. Just because it's something WWE might do, except they wouldn't give the hometown guy their finish and their trophy in the hometown. Can CJ Perry interfere? Low blow Kingston. Miro wins. The rematch is set for Arthur Rash. Don't put her in a shark cage. Just ban her from ringside. And then... Or get Eddie Kingston's mom. Uh, can't fight. That's <laughs> too WWE. But yeah. no, people aren't ready to let this go. People are desperate to see Eddie Kingston win the big one. People love Eddie Kingston. Strap up Eddie Kingston, like, mm. that's what I would do. Uh, let's talk about this mad steel cage match then. World Tag Team Championships on the line. The Young Bucks against the Lucha Bros. I mean, is it too out there to think there's going to be a Canadian destroyer off the top of the bloody cage? Well, that's my fear. My literal fear is that they are going to do something insane off the top of this cage. Like, Cody is afraid of heights and he still did it. These four men decidedly are not scared of heights. A Canadian destroyer off the beam. Oh, my God. 
leading to whoever takes it. Nick Jackson's the craziest one out of these four. Nick Jackson takes a Canadian destroyer off that. It's like a foot-wide, like, bar thing on there. He sells about the fall-off, fingertips so it's not that bad, and then comes down. Yeah, they're going to do something off the top. A phoenix run across. I'm terrified. I'm absolutely terrified of this match. This match should be absolutely incredible. They're going to do some ridiculous stuff, like Phoenix is going to jump up the ropes, like springboard off the side of the cage to do a moonsault. They're going to do some incredibly creative things, the likes of which I can't fantasy book on this podcast because I'm not on their wavelength. Nobody is. And I'm going to be terrified throughout the duration. And, yeah, it's going to be an incredible match of the air contender. It's just very terrifying. And... I can't see the Lucha Bros winning it. it. To be honest, I don't necessarily think they should. There's an argument to be made that they are simply so phenomenal that you should strap them up. Strapping them up means they get more TV time. They get more profile on this show. People love them as well. The Young Bucks simply are better episodic TV characters. Yeah, and with the storyline with Death Triangle and Andrade and Andrade... There's stuff to do with that that doesn't involve them being champions. But whenever... And can be informed by the result of this match as well. And I don't know if it's just the sort of... I'm trying to choose my words very deliberately here. North American Wrestling TV is, again, we've mentioned this millions of times, struggles to present characters who don't operate in English as their first language or don't speak particularly fluently as their second. Um... I've kind of made my peace with the way AEW books of just putting Penta and Phoenix in an assortment of dream matches. It's not the most narrative continuity, but the Andrade stuff, they did stuff with Eddie Kingston at the tail end of last year that was okay and it resulted in some very good matches, but it wasn't like properly great episodic TV. I just don't think they trust them in the spot to be uh, tag champions. No, I've got to agree with you. And I think maybe might be better... Uh, we've talked about this off air that maybe it's Santana and Ortiz as the ones to take the titles off the Young Bucks. Who knows where they go next from this? But I think like the wider picture with the Lucha Bros is yeah. is better without the tag titles. Just to clarify, the Lucha Bros aren't at fault for not being able to speak English fluently no. in their first or second language. It's AEW and wider American TV pro wrestling's fault for not changing up its format or accommodating the international players in really big featured continuous slots but it's still a problem so I expect the books to go over and, I, and they still could absolutely become tag team champions in the future as well is what is what we're saying there it's on top of that um, one little added thing I think even though you're not going to try and escape the cage at one point one of the Lucha Bros Phoenix let's say is climbing the cage because his whole story and the need for the cage is because of all the bloody shenanigans Brandon Cutler runs down Cold sprays Phoenix, and Alex Abrahantes hits a Canadian destroyer on him on the outside. Just a thought. Just a thought. I love Alex, so I'm giving him a big spot. No pressure, lad. He makes them 20% less cool, does Alex Abrahantes. I'm sorry, he just does. Uh, let's talk Kenny Omega, Christian Cage. We both think, obviously, Kenny is going to retain here. There's a, a longer story to be uh, played out. Daniel Bryan, you mentioned amongst this. And yet... They're still going to make us nibble on a few of these things, aren't they? He's going to hit a kill switch or whatever, and 
you and I are going to go, oh my God, they're actually changing the title. Yes, absolutely. He's going to hit a kill switch. He can reverse the one-winged angel again to hit the kill switch. He can do that first. And then you get the 2.99 kick out and it'll be awesome. He could go for a second attempt. You'll see it's subverted because it's the perfect move to counter into the one-winged angel. Then Christian Cage could slip out of that by punching him in the face. These guys are perfect opponents. They've got respective move sets that allow to be countered. The spear and the V-trigger, we saw a thrilling glimpse of that. These guys are both fantastic at building and building and building matches at the end of which just the waves and waves and waves of drama just hit so well because of how well it's been built and how much the audience has been pulled into it. I expect this to be an absolutely phenomenal match. I just want this to go in the semi-main slot. Mm. I really do. If I'm booking the last four matches of this card, which are the trickiest, in last to next order, Punk and Derby headline, because whatever Punk does is going to get an absolutely thunderous, sustained reaction no matter what people have seen before. In the semi-main, I would put Kenny Omega and Christian Cage for that very reason. Third from top, I would put Paul YQT Marshall mm. for the buffer for the last two matches. And before that, I would do the cage match. Mm. That's a really good call. Yeah, I could quite, quite easily see that happening. But if you had to, I know you wouldn't, wouldn't come in on this earlier, Post this match, do you think this is where we could see Daniel Bryan Danielson showing up? Um, Kenny Omega, I love him. I love the Bell Collector run. My only problem with it so far is that he thinks so ambitiously. I've referred to them in the past as elegant spiderwebs of narrative and everything that's going on. And sometimes he can get lost within it. The Eddie Kingston-Kenny Omega match was very much teased as going to happen as a singles match. That's not happened. And in the meantime, Eddie Kingston's drifted away, having taken various losses to the Young Bucks, mm -hmm. and has now been moved sideways from the tag team title picture into the TNT picture without a nice resolution to the Kenny Omega versus... Like, even if... Like, he lost. He still lost to Kenny Omega. Most do. It's fine. But they never did that match, and that pisses me off. Kazarian, I really felt like, oh, the player here is, he goes through the dorks. Kazarian, Nakazawa, up to Omega. And if he loses a TV match, you know, there's still another Bullet Club hunter, elite hunter, and that's Hangman Page. He got beat off Gallows. My worry is that Kenny Omega has got unfinished business Unfinished business with Hangman Page. He's very heavily teased doing something at some point with CM Punk. If you add Danielson to that mix, do they, and there's, the sad thing is, there's precedent of this, do they, and they love to tease, and they love to tell long-term stories, but sometimes it just doesn't work out like it didn't with Eddie Kingston, and they've realized, oh, we've wasted a bit of time here, and we can't get around to doing it. My worry is that the more things you tease for Kenny Omega more you can't do it. Mm. So it's the, it's the dream match. It proves I'm a pedantic little bastard. <laughs> a complete ingrained misery guts who can't be pleased. I've been, this is a, they're both on my Rushmore. Yeah. I've got my Mount Rushmore. It's Kenny Omega, Brian Danielson, 
Hiroshi Tanahashi and Bret Hart, right? Bret Hart can't work matches with these three people. I've seen one Rushmore match between Tanahashi and Omega. I'm lucky enough to have a third one imminent, a second one imminent. I'm potentially a third. Danielson Omega with PWG, it's not the same. I've seen it, it was funny, it's not the goddamn same. Like... <laughs> and I'm still complaining about it. But also, well, let's conclude by talking about CM Punk's in-ring return. Then CM Punk, Darby Allen. You say main event, and yeah, like you say, regardless of whether the show goes five hours, you ain't going to need any encouragement when that music hits. And that's precisely why you put it on last. That is precisely why you put it on last. It's we see the tiniest glimpse of CM Punk, right? CM Punk left professional wrestling in 2005. He left sports entertainment in 2014 after his best in-ring year yet, when he was 35 years old, in his wrestler's prime. Looking at Christian Cage, it is somehow feasible to come back as an older man, having missed several years, and basically recovered from all the bumps and the mileage and the wear and tear and just become an absolutely phenomenal worker all over again. CM Punk, and you know, his flying elbow drop always looked rubbish. But that was about the only thing he did that looked bad. He was an amazing professional wrestler, a great storyteller. This match should be awesome. It should be heated. There's going to be a nice, respectful, tentative, quick well-worked, convincing series of holds at the start. Something's going to happen in this match where that thread of mutual respect is severed Mm -hmm. and then it's going to become a fight. Then the heat's going to ramp up even more. And the thing is, with the way they're playing CM Punk, they've asked the question, and I don't know if it's just Carney's storytelling where they're casting doubt over the outcome, but they've been very... They haven't shied away from the fact that CM Punk's 42. He's going to be rusty. He's breathing quite heavily after that dynamite bit of physicality. I don't know if it was the adrenaline, an adrenaline dump or what, but you could see it's the first time he's done this in a while. So that's my only sort of concern about this match is the fact that the guy hasn't been in it for seven years. Christian Cage, I know he'd done the rumble, but in that match with Frankie Kazarian, he looked knackered at the end. Darby Allen is a speedball, a ridiculous ball of energy. So there are reasons to be a little... The crowd will be forgiving... The emotion will completely override any kind of sag or lull or sense that. Oh, crisis is a bit ambitious because I expect it to go long. But there is the sense that this might not be the perfect pro wrestling masterclass that most expect. But the emotion will overwhelm all of that. And, you know, I'm not that 100% certain punk wins. He's been not shying away from the fact that he's 42 years old. Can he still go? He's got a grey beard beard these days. And for that reason, I've been worked. CM Punk's going to win. Yeah, definitely going to win. But like you say, it's going to be so good just just to see him back in there. We're going to get a you still got it chant probably about two minutes into this match. got one on freaking Dynamite. (laughs) Can I still go you still got it? He hasn't done his like... Uh, what's the sequence that all the old guys do? And they basically do that thing where they do a Lexus on the head and 
they'll both create separation, stand up at the same time, look at each other, and then they'll go, come on. And the crowd will go, you still got it. This is awesome. <laughs> it's a little trick that they do. So, yeah, he'll get it within... He's already had it, but he'll get it within a minute. Absolutely. And it'll be friggin' annoying. But it will be great to see him back in there. And it'll be a fantastic pay-per-view on paper, at least. Let us know your thoughts ahead of AEW All Out this weekend on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Well, actually, you can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. You can follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. And make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, as well as joining us on Sunday night for our AEW All Out live stream where we'll be reacting to the whole thing. And then make sure you read Michael Sidgwick's Ups and Downs article the very next day after All Out to, to talk about everything that went down. But for now, this has been the AEW All Out preview. My thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.